You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Physicians state that they are not effective in helping patients make healthy dietary changes. What is the missing ingredient? Joining us to discuss how physicians can better help patients make healthy changes is founder and president of the Institute for Fitness and Health in Gig Harbor, Washington, Joe Piscatella. Mr. Piscatella, welcome to ReachMD. Dr. Edelman, my pleasure to be with you. Let's talk about obesity, coronary heart disease, and diabetes. What is one major reason why the rates are up? Well, it's not genetics, I can tell you that, because our genetics haven't changed. The reason uh, that they're up is because of our lifestyle choices, principally in the area of what we eat, whether or not, and whether or not we're exercising. And we're eating too much and we're not exercising enough, and it's connected to all of these. You know, the most common cause of death in America is coronary heart disease, and that's especially true for people with diabetes. What's keeping people from living a healthy lifestyle? Well, and, and, and you've just hit it right on the head, because uh, if you and I were having this conversation 20 years ago, we would say it's, it's the knowledge of what to do. Uh, 20 years ago, you talked to people about saturated fat and cholesterol, and they'd say, gee, I, uh, I didn't know that. Or you talk about aerobic exercise, and they'd say, gee, I don't know that. Today, everybody knows it. They know the difference between an apple and a piece of apple pie, uh, between going out dancing and watching Dancing with the Stars. What gets in the way is daily chronic stress. We're so stressed and so pulled in so many different directions that we don't comply or adhere to the dietary and exercise information that we already have and understand. Well, how does stress specifically have an effect on keeping our patients from living a healthy lifestyle? Well, you can know so much about healthy eating, for example, that uh, the food pyramid is tattooed on your forehead. But when you live with chronic stress, when you simply feel like you don't have enough time to do everything, then uh, peanut M&Ms are lunch. Uh, and it's the same thing with exercise. People uh, don't go to the to the gym and they'll say, I'm too tired. And really, it's the mental fatigue from the stress that's dragging them down. It isn't that they're so physically active that their muscles are tired. So what we see is that when people are just pulled in so many different directions uh, and feel that chronic stress and not having enough time is really on their back, that they make poor decisions about diet and exercise, even though they know all the good information about it. So that's the way that it gets in uh, in the way and contributes to all kinds of diseases and debilitating conditions. Well, let's talk about what we have now for treating these folks. I mean, typically, you know, we have exercise physiologists that we could send people to, health clubs, and we have our really good, you know, faculty of dietary uh, counselors. How, how come it doesn't work? Well, I think <clears throat> for years and years and years, we've relied on kind of the good food, bad food route, um, eat this, don't eat that kind of a thing. And um, what we found is that... Uh, uh, it overlooks the fact that there is a phenomenon uh, that uh, uh, Dr. Adam Jernowski and Dr. Judith Wirtman, who have done work at uh, Michigan and MIT and the University of Washington, have surfaced called the fat tooth. 
Uh, most people think that they have a sweet tooth, but in reality, a sweet tooth only exists in children. That's why a five-year-old will suck on a sugar cube. But as an adult, when we get what we think is a sweet tooth craving, we don't head to the sugar bowl. We want cookies and cakes and, and chocolate, uh, which are actually low in sugar but high in fat. And what we're showing is that when stress kicks in, this phenomenon called the fat tooth kicks in, and it drives us toward um, high-fat foods. Uh, and so when we say to someone, you can never have another Oreo cookie the rest of your life because it's on the bad food list, we set them up for failure because uh, because of the fact that uh, the fat tooth is going to cause him to gravitate toward it. So we would be much better off to uh, really work with people so that they can understand how they do get some of those forbidden foods, but in an amount that doesn't upset the entire diet. Yeah, now what about uh, on the exercise? You know, why is it that folks join health clubs and they go once a year to pay their dues? What What is your suggestion? I think uh, that we've got to uh, let people know that exercise becomes a habit when you do it at the same time of the day and you, you and, and the repetition allows you uh, to to get, you know, between six weeks and, and four months out, uh, and the data show that that's when an actual habit sets in. Uh, I advise people uh, to do three things, really, regarding exercise. The first is get a partner. You will never be so faithful to exercise as you are with a partner. Uh, if you uh, commit to exercising in the morning and the alarm goes off and you just don't want to go, then if it's just you, you may not go. But if you've already committed to a partner who's going to be standing on a street corner waiting for you so you can take a morning run, you get up and you go. That works very well. I always counsel people uh, to get good instruction. Don't just join a class without knowing that the class is, uh, is uh, appropriate for you. And then the third thing I suggest to people is to mark it on your calendar when you actually exercise because in our minds, we give ourselves way too much credit for exercise that never took place. When you put it on a calendar, it's a good record of what you did last month, but it's also a motivation for what you will do this month. Yeah, and that, that's basic behavior modification. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Joe Piscatella. We are discussing how physicians can best help patients make healthy changes. Well, Joe, how does the type A personality tie into this? My wife accuses me of being type A. I'm also a type 1 diabetic, so I think I'm a type 1A. 1A. Well, I think we all have a bit of this type A business in in our culture. We're not born with it, but in response to the culture that's around us in the United States, about 95% of us develop what we call hurry sickness, which is, you know, we're the people that move our watches ahead to make us Uh, think we're going to be late, so we'll always be on time. Uh, We're so impatient, sometimes we will finish sentences for you. Uh, We walk fast, we talk fast, we eat fast, we're always on the go, we're always concerned with numbers. Uh, These are personality uh, traits that uh, um, actually get people into, can get people into trouble in the way that they're living. They don't take the time for exercise, they're eating quickly, so they're eating um, on the run, uh, and and so uh, type A is a is really a, uh, something that we have to confront because most of the people uh, and most of the patients in the United States 
really are type A personalities. Well, you're not an official doctor, but I sort of consider you as one. Put yourself in the chair of a busy uh, healthcare professional seeing a patient at high risk for coronary heart disease, let's say type 2 diabetes, successful, busy uh, uh, worker, has a great job, but seems to put everything lower on their priority list in terms of lifestyle modification. I would do two things. The first thing is I'd make a very, very strong appeal uh, to getting involved in an exercise program. Uh, and, and that's hard. Uh, doctors will talk to patients about it. Patients will, will leave nodding in agreement and then run into the same schedule conflict that they had before. But at some point, that, that uh, person um, has got to make that kind of a commitment because it's one of, the, uh, uh, one of the best things you can do. But something that's even simpler uh, that I think doctors could do is to, in, within two minutes, teach uh, patients how to perform a deep breathing technique, which is very simple. Breathe in through your nose and push your stomach out. It feels a little different from the way we normally breathe. Uh, have the patient hold it for a few beats pull the stomach back in like there's a string from your belly button to your spine and let the air out through pursed lips like the patient is whistling for about five beats. This is one of the simplest and easiest, no, no kinds of special shoes, no kinds of special equipment. Uh, this, is a, this is a technique that a, that a person can do for three or four minutes once or twice a day in their kitchen, in their office, in their car, and it makes a huge difference and bringing about what's called a relaxation response, which puts the person in a better position, not to reduce stress, but to manage the stress in, in their, uh, their life more effectively. Whether you're, you're uh, a doctor or whether you're a business person or whether you're a homemaker, we, we're, we're all being pulled, uh, we're multitasking, and, and, and we can see all of these type A characteristics surface because of the fact that we're pulled in a lot of different ways. I remember one guy on a Monday saying to me, I have no time for exercise or stress management techniques. On a Tuesday, he has a heart attack. And guess what? On a Wednesday, he's found time for exercise and other stress management techniques. Well, that's your personal experience. Uh, exactly. Uh, how many years ago, Joe? Tell our listeners your story briefly, because it's pretty uh, inspirational how you got into all of this in well, the first place. I went place. through bypass surgery when I was 32 years old, and uh, my, uh, I had a history of high cholesterol, but not of heart disease. But for some reason in me, it, it all connected, and my family was young. My children were six and four you know, hadn't been married to my wife 10 years at that point. And the prognosis was not good. I actually had one physician uh, predict that I wouldn't live to be 40 because the, the disease was so aggressive. But I, I relied um, not on that prognosis, but rather on changing my lifestyle in terms of eating better, exercising uh, more effectively, and managing my stress. And this year, I, in two, uh, 2009, I celebrated the 32nd anniversary of that bypass surgery. I'm well past the age of 40, and I've had the privilege of being married 41 years and having uh, uh, my kids uh, graduate from high school and college and law school and graduate school and being at every one of those things. And and so the, the effectiveness of managing lifestyle is not just science for me. It's, it's also uh, very personal and uh, it's everyday life. Well, you just come out with another one of your excellent uh, books. The one coming out is called Positive Mind, Healthy Heart. 
and it is really dedicated to the proposition that if you if you want to take this knowledge and put it to work, just what we've been talking about in in this interview, um, then you've got to have a positive attitude and get your mind straight. And for years and years and years, uh, what I've done in the morning is do a little bit of reading of something that will motivate me for the day. My philosophy is you you uh, I'm not going to worry about yesterday. That's gone. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. That hasn't come yet. But I want to help myself to commit to living healthy today. I'd like to thank our guest, founder and president of the Institute for Fitness and Health in Gig Harbor, Washington, Joe Piscatella. Joe, thanks so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. It's been my pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients, that's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.